Well, we're beginning a sermon series today on the Old Testament character of, of Joseph. Uh, I know that he's a favorite of mine, and I'm sure he's a favorite of many people in this room. Joseph is, is one of the few Bible characters where there's no biblical record of a flagrant flaw. Uh, you, you read the story of Joseph, and, and, and from, from the first chapters he's introduced till the time that he exits the scene, he, he is, is walking in integrity. I, I guess you could argue, and we'll talk about it today, that he could be accused of being maybe cocky when he was young. But that's it. There's no heinous sin, no obvious flaw in, in Joseph's life. Now, that's not true of almost anyone else in the Scripture. You know, it's, it's not true of Abraham. It's not true of David. It's not true of Peter. That You can't say that of Elijah or of Moses or of Paul. And so when you read the story of Joseph, he's one of the most impressive godly people that's recorded in Scripture. What set Joseph apart was that he was faithful. He, he was a faithful man, and, and he, was, he was loyal to God, even though he endured a lot of tough stuff. We're going to look at his story over the next few weeks, and he endured a lot of difficult circumstances and, and faced a lot of pressures. But when he was hated, he didn't retaliate. When, when, when he was tempted, he didn't give in. When life fell apart, he didn't. You know, when it, whenever he was blessed, he didn't strut. When, when he faced death even... He didn't cower. Every page of Joseph's story reveals a man who walked faithfully with God. Uh, Joseph's an inspiration. He's in an inspiration in an era of unfaithfulness and lack of commitment. He stands as a model of what we should strive for. In our day when marriage gets boring, about one half of Americans are unfaithful. When involvement in church becomes routine, many Christians fade away. When promises get stale, we forget about integrity. We're living in a time of disloyalty and a lack of commitment, but Joseph was, was different. He was a man who walked his talk continuously. He, he walked with, with God. And every week we're going to see some lessons that I'm going to point out this first week, that in every chapter of his story, Joseph is, is the same. The first thing we're going to see is that God has a purpose for his people's lives. God has his hand on Joseph. It's easy to see as you read his story. He's heading for greatness. He's, he's heading somewhere. God has his hand on him. That's true for all of us. As the scriptures you saw in our baby dedication video said, in our mother's wombs, God formed us. He had a plan for our lives. We were fearfully and wonderfully made, made with a purpose. We're also going to learn in Joseph's story that no matter what people go through, God's at work. If you go through uh, the, the greatest successes in life, God is there. If you go through the darkest valleys in life, God is there, and he is using what you go through for your, for, for, for your good, for his glory. God never wastes a moment. He never wastes a season. I was talking to a friend of mine this week, dear friend, um, served together in ministry. Uh, their spouse had a heart attack, and uh, uh, they don't know if they're going to, how, how this is going to end. Um, 
texted them, said, we were praying for you. And they said, pray that God will allow us to give him glory in this season. And all I could think is, God will make a way for you to give him glory. He never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a season in your life. He makes all things work together for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Another thing we're going to learn in Joseph's story is that that God's people can be faithful. Yes, we live in a world that is, is often not, but that does not mean that we are chained to unfaithfulness through the power of God that lives within us. We have the power to be faithful to God's calling on our life. If God is in you, no circumstance demands victory. You can overcome. Today... We'll begin to look at at Joseph's faithfulness in spite of the fact that he had a very imperfect family. Uh, Counselors would call his situation a dysfunctional family. Uh, One counselor described dysfunction as uh, a dysfunctional family as a place where there's lots of hurt going on that produces a lack of respect and a sense of uh, disintegration. A dysfunctional family, I guess in biblical terms, would simply be a family that's not functioning the way that God wants. They don't have parents who are trying to raise them in the knowledge of the Lord. They don't see every season as a season where God can get glory. They don't see the need to be faithful regardless of what comes. And because of that, the unfaithfulness trickles down generation upon generation. Many things contribute to dysfunction. Divorce. Sibling rivalry, incest, greed, chemical addiction, affairs, abuse. If you've been a part of a family where that sense of disintegration exists, I want to give you hope. Joseph is proof positive that you can overcome. Joseph is proof positive that you can be raised in difficult circumstances and and be faithful to God. And, and, And there were a lot of challenges early on in his life that he had to face. The first one is he had to endure an extremely difficult uh, uh, home. When when you read about Joseph's upbringing, it's kind of like a rerun of a Jerry Springer show. I mean, it's a it, it, it is, it, it's difficult. It, it, it starts from the very foundation of his family. You see, Joseph's family was formed in, in turmoil. Uh, uh, let me just, I don't know, relate to you how, how Joseph's parents got married. Um, Joseph's father was Jacob, uh, and Jacob was a twin. His twin brother's name was Esau. They had a, a falling out, and Joseph, uh, Joseph's dad, Jacob, had to flee for his life. He, he arrived, Jacob did, at, at, at Padan Aram, and he got, got a job with a close relative named Laban. Laban uh, was gracious to give him work, and, and Jacob said, Look, I don't want to work for nothing. What can I, uh, uh, what could... What, what could you pay me if, if I were to stay and work for you? And, and Laban and, uh, uh, asked him, well, what do you want? And, and uh, Jacob had his eyes on Laban's daughters. If you remember, Laban had two daughters. He had a, an older daughter named Leah, who was not very attractive, and a younger daughter 
named Rachel, who the Bible describes as shapely and beautiful. So you have these, these two sisters, and, and, and Jacob has his eyes on Rachel. Uh, I, I like what the message says about this. It says, Laban had two daughters. Leah was the older, Rachel the younger. Leah had nice eyes. But Rachel was stunning. You know, uh, you have somebody arranges a blind date for you and, and you say, what's she look like? Well, she got nice eyes, you know. <laughs> Wait a minute. Uh, the NASB is even tougher on Leah. It says that Leah's eyes were weak, uh, but, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Verse 18 in Genesis 29, Jacob loved Rachel. So he answered Laban and said, I'll work for you seven years if you'll give me the hand of your youngest daughter, Rachel. If you'll let me marry Rachel, I'll be faithful. And it was a good deal for both of them, and so Laban agreed. And at the end of 20 years, Jacob, uh, 20 years, seven years, Jacob uh, uh, works and, and he's ready to get married. And time just flew. Because he was in love. Um, they plan this elaborate wedding, and to comprehend what happens next, you need to understand two things. One, you need to understand that the custom of the day was for the older daughter to be married first. That was the custom of the day. No self-respecting father would let his uh, younger daughter marry ahead of the older. Second thing you need to understand is weddings took place at night. Uh, and the bride couldn't be seen very well. There was no electricity. The, uh, there were torches and maybe some lamps. The bride would wear a veil during the entire ceremony, and Laban saw an opportunity. He arranged for Jacob not to marry Rachel, but instead Leah. He wasn't getting beauty. He was getting no weak eyes. And so the night of the wedding came. Verse 22 of Genesis 29. Laban invited all the men of the place to a feast. You know, kind of this eat, drink, and be merry ceremony. As the evening passes, Laban took his daughter Leah and he gave her to Jacob and, and Jacob slept with her. Now imagine what's going on in Jacob's mind the next morning when he wakes up. The sun streams through the tent. He looks and he sees that, that, that it's, it's not Rachel, but Leah. And he must have thought to himself for a second, you know, Mama said that women don't look the same when they wake up like they do the rest of the day, but this is ridiculous. Rachel looks a lot like Leah. And then it dawned on him, wait a minute, this is Leah. He bolts out, he charges to Laban's house, and he demands an explanation. Verse 25. When morning came, there was Leah, and he said, What have you done? I, I worked for Rachel. You've deceived me. And Laban replied, Chill out. That's not exactly what he said, but close. Verse 26, he said, It's not the custom in this place to give the younger daughter before the, the, the older daughter, before the firstborn. He said, Listen. Complete the week of wedding celebrations. That was also a custom that the celebration would last a week. And I'll give you my younger daughter as well. But since you're getting two, you can't have two for the price of one. You've got to work seven more years. Well, Jacob, 
he, he loved Rachel, and so he did just that. He finished the week of celebration, and Laban was true to his word, and he gave his daughter Rachel uh, to him. Now, it's a difficult thing for t- children to grow up in a home that's torn apart by divorce. I, that's, that is a hard thing. But this home began with two wives who were sisters and who were rivals. And baked into this complex situation was the fact that Leah was always jealous of Rachel because Rachel was the pretty one. Rachel, 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 you know? And Rachel was jealous because Leah gets four sons. And, and, and she has not had any children. So to compensate, Rachel says, since I've not been able to give uh, uh, Jacob a child, I want, uh, he, Jacob, I want you to go sleep with my servant girl, Bilhah. Be, she'll be a surrogate for us and we'll adopt. And Jacob agrees. And Bilhah has two sons. Not to be outdone. Leah persuades Jacob to impregnate her servant. Zilpah, and she has two sons. So now Jacob has four wives, ten sons, and one daughters, but no child born to his favorite wife, Rachel. But then God, as he does often in biblical times, uh, sometimes even now, he will open the womb of someone who is barren for a long time, and sure enough, Rachel was able to have a child. And that child's name was... Joseph. You can imagine the turmoil that existed in the home as Joseph grew up. He had a granddad who was a conniver and was greedy. He had a mother who was in competition with her sister. They were married to the same man, and you can imagine the bickering that was going on in their home. There were two servants who were vying for attention for their children. I'm telling you, Lifetime Channel has nothing on this, right? This is a complicated situation. You know the old saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? Well, try having four mamas in the home. This was a complex home that Joseph is born into. You could call it a blended family. It'd probably be better to call it a zoo. And there were struggles. And to make matters worse, his family had to navigate some really hard changes. While he was a little boy... His father decided to move. Jacob had a falling out with Laban and his father-in-law, so he packed up and left. For the next few years, there was threats and heated exchanges between the two of them, and Joseph was exposed to all this. Then the worst blow happened in Joseph's life. Rachel conceives again, and she gives birth to another son, Benjamin. And while in childbirth, Rachel dies. So think about this. Complex home, on the move as a teenager, no longer going to be the baby of the family, and your mom dies. How could anybody be faithful growing up in an environment like that? To add to the chaos, Jacob didn't help anything. Jacob didn't distribute love equally. There's three mistakes parents can make. You can love a child too little. You can not love a child at all. Or you can love a child too much. And that's where Jacob was at. 
Genesis uh, 37 verse 3 says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. Instead of parenting Joseph, Jacob spoiled Joseph. He kept him around the house when the other boys had to go out and work. He listened to everything he said and believed it was truth, whether he could verify it or, or, or not. He, he gave him more stuff than he did the others. And it's understandable. I mean, let's be honest. Who did Jacob love? Rachel. Yeah, there's this new baby, but that baby can't talk. That baby can't share memories of mama. That baby doesn't look yet maybe like mama looked, doesn't have the same facial features or whatnot. And you can understand why Jacob played favorites with Joseph, why he spoiled him. But I want to tell you, it's dangerous when you do it. A word to to parents who have a tendency to be overindulgent with their children. If you spoil your child, you run the risk of them being naive to what other people think about them. When, When they go off to grade school, if you spoil your child, they think everybody loves me, everybody wants to serve me, everybody thinks I'm the cutest. They go and boast about themselves. They demand to be the center of attention with absolutely no idea how they're coming across or how egotistical they appear. You know, in grade school, other children eventually begin to resent them. And and then the the parents who did the spoiling, they hear the story from their child and they say, well, they're just jealous. That's what we do. They're probably right. I tell you, when you spoil your child... You also don't prepare for them for the hard realities of life. When they go off to parent, uh, college and parents aren't there to give them everything or to protect them from all circumstances, they overspend, they know little about self-control, and when difficulty comes, they're devastated and they become bitter and they feel like life's cheated them. A spoiled child also is naive about their relationship with God. The idea... A father to spoiled children is somebody who gives them what they want and makes sure life is smooth and easy. But that's not the picture we get from our God. Newsflash, God is not a convenient idea that men created that you can use to keep your life simple and easy. When you follow the true and living God, He is taking you from a sinful person who's been devastated by your sin and He's redeeming you into a new person and a part of that redeeming process is transforming you by allowing you to face difficult circumstances. Listen, the Lord disciplines the one He loves. He punishes every son He receives because remember what we talked about last week? God is more interested in developing your character than he is in maintaining your comfort that's true jesus said in this world you're going to have trials and tribulation and if you only serve jesus because he is fixing all your problems in the fashion that you want you're going to be miserable his his victory is not making this world smooth his victory is overcoming this world Children of overindulgent parents have difficult times with bitterness toward God when life deals them hard blows. And and I just ask you a question, parents, young parents. Do you really want your children to be your buddy but grow up and resent God? Our goal is to train children to be faithful 
not just give them what they want. Joseph has a tough upbringing, and he's got jealous brothers, crazy jealous brothers. It's not a, a surprise to see, I mean, the sibling rivalry running rampant in Joseph's home. You know, if you have 12 sons and one daughter from four mothers, there's going to be bickering, and Jacob doesn't help. He doesn't try to conceal that Joseph's the favorite. We read this verse a, a, a second ago. Now, growing up in Sunday school, you, you read this last line, he made him a robe of many colors, and what we do is we get like a full uh, eight and a half by 11 page of this coat, and it's got big stripes, and we give it to kids, and they paint it with as many colors as they possibly can. That's probably, no matter how artistic your child is, their painting looks nothing like Joseph's coat. I'm almost positive. This, this coat of many colors probably had, had coat uh, 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 colors uh, around the borders. It was a kind of coat that was worn by nobility, and it was an expensive coat. It was a garment of distinction. And, and it enraged Joseph's brothers every time they saw it. Verse 4, it says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. They couldn't bring themselves to even speak to him. Anytime parents show favoritism, we fan the flames of sibling rivalry. I've seen so many mamas who want their kids just to love each other when their kids get old. You want to help that? Treat your kids the same while they're young. Be fair. Love equally. Imagine buying school clothes for one child. Designer jeans, name brand, and from the, for the other child, you say, okay, it's time for us to get clothes. Let's go to Walmart. Or, or even better, maybe when they both turn 16, one of them, when he turns 16, you get him a bike. The other one, when he turns 16, you get him a sports car. You can imagine the jealousy that would exist between these siblings. Joseph gets praise and clothes and love and this wasn't good for his brothers, and it wasn't good for him. And a word to step-parents and grandparents that I know you already know. Remember to try really hard to distribute love equally. And that's tough uh, because proximity of children makes it tough. One kid's next door, the other kid's halfway around the world. Temperament makes it tough. One kid has that personality that you would just, you love and you'd like to hang around all the time and the other kid's a little more challenging. But it goes a long way toward the well-being of a child if each one knows that they're equally loved. I don't want to give you the impression, though, today that Joseph was perfect. He wrestled with an arrogant spirit. And because of this, he intensified his brother's hatred. There are three examples here in this passage in Genesis chapter 37. In verse 2, it says, At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man, uh, the young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to their father. If you want to get along with your brothers and sisters, being a tattletale is probably not the first way to pull that off. 
He came back and he said, Dad, you ought to see what they're doing out there. It's awful. Now, now maybe Joseph did the right thing. Uh, maybe they were stealing from their dad. Maybe they were ruining their dad's reputation. But right or wrong, it didn't help him get along with his brothers. He also wore the coat of many colors a lot. It's one thing for a father to give that kind of coat to his son. It's another thing for a son to wear it every place. You know, if you've got a tuxedo, you don't wear it to work in the garage. Joseph wore this coat tending sheep. Maybe it would have been a good idea for Joseph to put the coat in the closet and wear it discreetly. But indications are he wore it at every opportunity, and that wasn't very wise, and it reminded the brothers of his favoritism. You remember they see him coming from a long way off, and they can tell it's him because of the coat. By the way, if God blesses you, for those, there's some of us here who've been incredibly blessed by God. If God blesses you, don't flaunt it. You know, don't, don't try to fan the flames of envy in other people. If you're blessed intellectually, don't try to impress. You know, I had a, a pastor friend about 15 years ago. We were just friends. He called me Nick. I called him. I won't tell his name. Uh, but uh, he worked on his doctorate. He got a D-men. And we always just called each other and... We were in a group of pastors one day, and we were introducing ourselves, and I said, hey, I'm Nick. He introduced himself, and he said, hey, I'm Dr. So-and-so. When you demand, because of your achievement, those who haven't got there risk risk becoming incredibly jealous. If you've been blessed financially, don't exploit it. If you're always wearing expensive stuff and, you know, and you're going into a place where people can't, don't try to make people feel inferior. Be humble. If the Lord's blessed you and he'll exalt you. The Bible says as much. Humble yourself before the Lord. He'll lift you up. He bragged about his future, verse 5. Then Joseph had a dream When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, listen to the dream I had. He explains the dream. He said, there we were. We were binding sheaves of grain in the field. We were just all kind of working together. Suddenly my sheaf stood up and your sheaves gathered and bowed down to my sheaf. Well, now it doesn't take an intellectual giant to figure out what he's saying right there. And his brothers were frustrated. Verse 8 says, are you really going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of the dream that he had. But instead of keeping it to himself, he he sung his his praises loudly. And Joseph should have got on, should have caught on that they were mad. But instead, he has another dream. And he says, look, I had this other dream. And this time, there was a sun and moon and 11 stars. They were all bowing down to me. And his father told his brothers... But his father went to Joseph and rebuked him, which I don't think probably happened very often. He rebuked him and said, what kind of dream is this that you've had? Are your mother and brothers not going to come and bow down on the ground before you? His brothers were incredibly jealous because of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. You know, at times I look at Joseph and I think, man, he doesn't have a chance. He comes from a messed up family with parents who treated him unfairly and he wasn't too smart about the situation. 
He's never going to make it, but he does make it. And not only does he make it, he, he, he's blessed by God. And so I want to give you three things as we close today that I think give some indication. A couple of them give indication is how Joseph rose above his circumstances and how we can too. Number one, he refused to blame others for his situation. Sometimes we focus so much on our past environment and heredity, we, we think we're locked into failure. We blame parents for imperfections. We have a million excuses why we don't pull things off. Oh, there comes a time to grow up and go on. There comes a time to look forward, not backward. When you're driving a car, if you, you're always looking in the rearview mirror, you're going to wreck. In life, if you're always looking back, you're going to struggle with being faithful. Joseph overcame horrible circumstances to become a faithful, successful servant of God. And you can too. And you know how he did it? He, uh, he, he sought God, no matter what came his way. My prayer for you is that you would serve God regardless, that you would be faithful regardless, that you will not worry about tomorrow, that you will not get stuck in yesterday, that you will be faithful Sometimes I read the story of Joseph and I think to myself, there's no way I can be faithful like that. Maybe that's where you're at. I want to tell you, you can. You absolutely can be faithful. If you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, he has put his spirit within you and he's given you the power to live the gospel. He's given you the power to live a transformed life. You don't have to be beat down and lose every time some difficult obstacle is placed in front of you. You have the power to overcome. Greater is he that is in you than the one that's in the world. If life's been hard, you know, maybe you grew up at Dysfunction Junction. You know, if life has been difficult at every turn I want you to understand there comes a time that you have to release that and you have to trust Jesus there comes a time where you have to say Jesus you know what I've been through but you have promised that you are greater you know how bad I hurt but you are the healer you know how messed up my, my upbringing has been but God you have brought people out of the pit before and I trust that you can bring me out of this pit. What I love about Joseph is that he trusts the God that that he has heard about and been taught about in, in spite of all the obstacles that he has. If Joseph was faithful how much more so should we be? I mean, brothers and sisters in Christ, trusted holders of the Holy Spirit, how much more faithful should we be? I challenge you. Live according to the gospel. No matter where you've been or what has happened to you, Refuse to harbor resentment against those who've wronged you. May God find those who trust Christ faithful.
and may we be among that number. Let's pray.